Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. But what you may not know is that in addition to this podcast, we also host two live races in the Wilmington, North Carolina area that are designed to do the same. Yep. The first is the Hydra, which takes place on April 20th and has a 50K individual, a 50K relay, and a half marathon option. Whatever option you choose, we promise that slaying the Hydra will be unlike any race that you've ever experienced. And the second is the final countdown, which takes place on September 14th. And whether you've never run before or you're a hardcore ultra veteran, this race is designed to help you find your limits. And we will be there with you to help celebrate. All right, so mark your calendars, share with your friends, and visit us at our website, theultrarunningguys.com. Or check out the links in the show notes for more info. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. And so I showed up to that race with amongst some of the best ultra runners in the world, Camille Heron being one of them, Patrick Regan, Pete Kosselnick. Like I was literally standing at the start line looking around like, what the hell am I doing here amongst all these like people that I've looked up to? And yeah, I just had a phenomenal day. I finished second place right behind Camille setting her world record. And that's kind of just where I, I guess, made a name for myself in the ultra running world. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And as always, if this is your first time, thank you so much. Uh, we hope we bring you value. If you find that value, please share with your friends, tell everybody you know, all that good stuff. And if you're back, you're part of the family. We appreciate you so much, but we're going to get right into it. So our guest tonight is one of those that has accomplished so much. It's almost hard to even know where to start but we're going to give it a shot, so listen close. He is a two-time member of Team USA at the 24-Hour World Championships with a personal 24-hour record of 165 miles, which equates to an 8.43 overall pace That's for a lot 24 of hours. That's crazy. And landed him eighth overall in the world in 2019. In the summer of 2023, he completed five 100-milers in just four months, setting course records in four of those five races. And now he's stepping outside of his comfort zone as he gears up for the 2024 Cocodona 250-miler, kicking the year off strong with a win and new course record at the Coldwater Rumble 100K in January and taking on the Black Canyon 100-mile challenge on February 10th, which just so happens to be the day that this is releasing. So stick around to hear how this husband, father of three, and UPS truck driver is able to get so much out of himself and why he believes that all of us should not be afraid to try new things. And with that, Jake Jackson, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. That's a really long list of accomplishments. It was really long. And it's just like, no kidding, not even joking, right? This is just kind of scratching the surface, man. You're a busy guy. You do a lot. Uh, you've ob obviously have a passion for the sport and for everybody listening, I'll just say, we've talked about it before, you know, this has been kind of in the works. We were originally scheduled to talk to you in December, kind of right before the 24 hour world championships, things happen. And I think this actually worked out for the best man. Cause you got some, some good, exciting things, but obviously we're gonna talk about Coca Dona. We're gonna talk about some of the things coming up, but let's rewind a little bit, man. So 
how did you first get into running? Like what kicked off this epic journey that you're on? Well, I guess the short story is that uh, my wife and I were, we had had our three kids uh, about a year after our daughter was born. We were just not feeling very healthy, uh, not living a very healthy lifestyle, uh, drank probably a little bit too much on the weekends. We were both smokers and finally said, you know, we need to start getting ourselves in better shape for these growing kids to keep up with them for one. Uh, both of us got gym memberships. I was probably, I'd say probably 30 to 35 pounds heavier than I am right now. Started going to the gym, never really liked lifting weights. That was kind of not my jam when I did it in middle school. And, but you know, every gym's got a treadmill. So that's where things kind of got started, hopped on the treadmill and it wasn't terrible. And I just kept doing it. So that was kind of the genesis of where the running started. How long ago was that? Well, let's see. I've been doing ultras for nine years. I probably chased half marathon and marathon times for five years. So yeah, it's it's been a while. This so is what I love about this kind of stuff, right? Is because when you hear that, there's probably people listening and they're like, oh, okay, I can relate. Or thinking, oh man, I one, I don't know if I can do ultras, but two, the story that you just told and now knowing that you've represented Team USA twice in the world championships, man, that's quite an arc. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this and see how you started to figure out, you know, this was a thing for you. Yeah. I mean, when I started, if you were to tell me that I would be on two us teams, I would have thought you were absolutely crazy. So yeah, it's been a, a, a fun journey to say the least. So how did you get into ultras? then? so you said you, you know, you're chasing some half marathon marathon stuff, but then how did you transition to ultras? Well, the, the group of guys that I specifically were running with a lot, they were getting into Ironman distances and a few of them had done some longer trail running. And I was kind of just worn out from running on the road so much. You know, I PR'd at Boston. The training was so hard for that race that I was just like, I don't think I could do this any faster than I actually did. And, you know, we were just going out on the weekends and hitting the trails and we have a local race that's about an hour drive from here, uh, Kodiak Ultra Marathons out in Big Bear, California. And that was something that a lot of guys that I was running with at the time were training for. So it was just kind of just the peer pressure. You know, these guys were five to 10 years older than me. And I've just figured, well, these guys are doing it. And I'm over here just chasing marathon times. I, I need to get out there and see what I can do on the trails too. So, yeah. What's kind of weird, not weird, it's the right word, um, interesting that's a curiosity of mine. I'm not sure how you would say it, but you and your wife started this because of health reasons. Right. And yet as you're doing this, you're, you're setting PRs, you're, you're Boston qualifying. Like at what point when you got into ultras, did you realize you were fast? Uh, well, surprisingly, it was probably my first 50 K that I ran my first ultra. <laughs> it was, uh, coming off a big marathon training. I ran the marathon and there's this 50 K in Calico. I was just like, Oh, well, let's just go and run this thing friends of course were running it too and yeah i ended up placing second place not too far behind the leader jesse haynes was the winner legend out here in the california and he came up to me he was like dude like you had me worried for a while <laughs> and if you look at jesse's you know long list of accomplishments getting a compliment from somebody like that i was like hmm maybe the marathon thing is kind of not my jam and this trail stuff is something i need to focus on so yeah so you like the competitive side of it? Oh yeah. I've always been a competitive person. I mean, 
yeah, I hate losing. You can ask my sister growing up. She hates it playing any board game, anything with me, because I'm usually the one that just takes it over the overboard a little bit too much. So yeah, big time competitor. So we're going to kind of get into desert solstice here in a minute, but this is a question I didn't have on here, but just hearing you talk about like, okay, Hey, maybe the marathon's not for me. I go out and do 50 K. I realize like, Oh, you know, I just came behind this kind of legend. What do you think it is or what traits about you? What do you think kind of is a good fit for the ultras or doing well at that kind of format versus some of the half or marathon kind of really speedy stuff? Well, you know, I've been asked that question a lot. And the strange as it sounds, I think it has a lot to do with me working at UPS for as long as I have. I wasn't always a driver. You know, I spent many years inside trailers, hot, dusty trailers, stacking boxes for hours on end. And it's just, it's just that grind that is so common with ultras, trail running, all of that. It, you know, you, you start work and you're, you're not done until that last box is stacked and everything is completed. And it's kind of the same mentality you have to have going into a race. You don't go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to do about half of it and just see how it goes. You go into it saying, I'm going to finish this damn thing. And I think, you know, I always tell my coworkers, like, you guys all did the same jobs that I've had, and they just cannot understand how I can run for this long. And it's just, it's just a mental thing. You know, you, you can do something like that mentally. That's a pain in the butt for that long. You can finish some of these longer races. So, so good. You know, who it reminds me of Chris Varnado. We had Chris Varnado. He's a roofer. Right. And he talked about the same. He's like, man, you just get used to like, you can't just stop in the middle of the day. You're out there in the heat. It sounds like something very similar. You had a job to do. You got used to doing it until it was done. And you put you out on the trails and yeah. Yeah. But it, it's one thing to, to finish a race. It's a whole nother thing to smoke it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, obviously there's some natural skill there. Yeah. Right. And, and I think one of the things we like about you is that you've done all these different formats. We're going to talk about that because I think it'd be good for our audience, mm-hmm. but it also seems like as you've done some of those, you kind of peel back a, a layer of the onion. You're like, Oh, okay. This seems like a pretty good fit for me. Or maybe I have a certain skill set, you know, where I can excel in this. But all right, man. So let's fast forward a little bit because you did multiple hundreds. I mean, your resume had already been built up pretty good. Mm-hmm. So you had quite a bit of experience behind you in this. But it seems like the 2018 desert solstice was kind of a pretty pivotal moment in your running career. Tell us about that. What made you get into it? How was the experience? And I'm guessing you probably surprised yourself there. Oh, definitely. So basically... I had run several hundred trail hundreds, um, enjoyed that. And there's a local race that's pretty close to home, half an hour drive, uh, in a neighboring city. And everybody's been telling me, Oh, you need to come run this race. It's a 24 hour race. That's run on a one mile loop on a horse ranch. And I said, well, that sounds miserable. I mean, I've, I've run a couple hundreds that were, took me over 24 hours, but totally different ball game. And so I said, you know what, let's just do it. It's on Memorial Day weekend. I didn't really have much else going on. So yeah, I just signed up, showed up. I ended up running 100 miles, just over 14 hours. Mm. And basically the last 10 hours I walked because <laughs> I was so wrecked from running that fast. I had, you know, a lot of my my pacing I got from doing marathons and half marathons. And I just thought, well, I'll just 
do that pace from start to finish. And yeah, that doesn't work out that way. So well, tell me if I'm wrong though. So the, the result that I have is 157 and a half miles. That was at desert solstice. So I, I was referring to oh. the race at Nanny Goat where I ran 134 miles. Mm, got it. So okay. after that race was finished, I got all these, you know, messages saying, Hey, look, you qualified to run this other 24 hour race out in Phoenix called desert solstice. That's run on a high school track. You know, it's an invitational only race. Usually they cap it at about 30. And so I showed up to that race with amongst some of the best ultra runners in the world, Camille Heron being one of them, Patrick Regan, Pete Kosselnick. Like I was literally standing at the start line, looking around like, what the hell am I doing here amongst all these like people that I've looked up to? And yeah, I just had a phenomenal day. I finished second place right behind Camille setting her world record. And that's kind of just where I, I guess, made a name for myself in the ultra running world. So I want to know that because you talked about kind of being surprised. So you show up being like, dude, I don't know why I'm even here. But then, like you said, you smoke the course, right? So what are you thinking after you do that? And you're like, oh, I would be curious. Like, what was it like to beat all those all-stars? I was a little surreal, to tell you the truth. I mean, I didn't get much like... I will not say notoriety because of Camille setting the world record that day. And it was kind of like, I was just in the shadows, but um, it was kind of nice being just like the dark horse show up. Nobody knows who the heck you are. And you go out and run what ended up being a qualifying number to get on the world's team the following year. So that's been the kind of the cool thing with my ultra running journey is like every time I tried something different, it's kind of panned out to where it's opened up a whole nother door whole nother avenue to go down and that's the beauty of ultra running is there's so many there's such a big variation with everything if you're not feeling one side of the ultra world you could take a left-hand turn and try something different and that might be your thing and you know i I still love going back and forth between the road stuff i mean i've run jackpot a few times i've run 24 hours and 48 hours inside the dome in milwaukee I, i just think it keeps it fresh so can i ask about that why do you pursue the different formats well, I think to be truthful, the, the trail running stuff, I'm never going to win UTMB or Western States. And I enjoy the 24 hour stuff and I do pretty well in it. So, you know, you just gravitate toward the things that you're better at, I guess. But I mean, the trail stuff is still a lot of fun for me. And now we're getting into the, the even longer stuff with Cocodona coming up. You know, I have no idea what to expect from that race. So I think it's just, keeping things fresh, n- not pigeonholing yourself into one spot in the sport keeps it fun. And so I may, I'm going to ask this a little bit different. I'm going to really ask it for our listeners. Cause you've done a lot of different types of formats, mm-hmm. as you just mentioned. Right. And it's helped you figure out things about yourself, open doors, you know, for opportunities. So if people are listening right now, why do you recommend that our listeners try new formats? Because they're probably thinking, oh, same kind of thing. Oh, 24 hours or a track race or a backyard or, you know, these different things. Why do you recommend trying new formats for somebody else? I guess it is, you know, just at the end of the day, you look at your life. You don't want to be, you don't want to do the same job. I mean, most of us do do the same job for <laughs> most of our lives, unfortunately. <laughs> but then you have this other hobby that has all these different things avenues to go down. Like I was saying, I think it's just, you're limiting yourself to just focus on one thing. I mean, 
if you know you're never going to win a race, why not try everything? Yeah. It makes sense to do that. You know, I have won a few races, but I've also like not just said, I'm just going to focus on this one thing. I could, I could just go to the same race every single year, year after year. And just, you know, some people are, enjoy doing that. They know what to expect. I think life is about tackling unexpected things all the time. And so that's part of why I like running different races. You don't put so much pressure on yourself, I guess, to meet a certain expectation going to the same race every time. I don't know. He has set so many course records on <laughs> non-loop courses, non-track courses. I mean, you've set them everywhere. Yeah. But again, I think if we zoom out and go, okay, where do we start? Start at 35 pounds, heavier smoker, mm-hmm. you know, and really the only way that you got where you are now is by saying, uh, sure, I'll give it a shot. I'll go try these things. And you ended up uncovering some things about yourself. And I think that that's important for all of us to, Hey, it may not be that, that you go out and win something, but you may go, Oh my gosh, this brings me more joy than I would have expected. Or this allowed me to meet somebody you know, that now I can do these things and, uh, related or unrelated, but I always, you know, my son at his first birthday, for some reason, he thought that he hated the cake. He didn't want anything to do with the cake. If we put it in front of him, you know, he would cry. And I still use that as like, when he's like, Oh, I don't think I'd want to do that. I'm like, just remember at one point you <laughs> thought you hated cake. <laughs> right. So you know, sometimes it just, benefits to try oh yeah i mean my daughter is a perfect example of that she was such a picky eater as a kid we would literally have to make her like pasta noodles and bring that everywhere for her to have and now she just is like trying everything which is amazing for us being parents you know be able to not have such a limited thing to have to go to every single time so yeah chicken nuggets chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets. <laughs> peanut butter and jelly and macaroni and cheese that was, a, yeah. that was our house for a while well, look, man, I think that that has been a pretty interesting conversation, um, but we do want to, because obviously you've got a unique experience. There's only a handful of people that have been to the 24-hour world championships that have experienced that race, that format. And so we want to spend a little time here because I think the listeners will be interested. We're interested. You're the only guest we've ever talked to that's ever been to it as well. That's so right. You are setting the stage <laughs> for this conversation <laughs> for all those that come behind. Yeah, 24-hour race is kind of like the fringe of the fringe. Like, we're the major weirdos out there. And then you go into the, like, the six-day stuff, and you're just like, what the heck is that all about? So, yeah. It's it's so impressive, though. But so let's talk about, I mean, one is, hey, running the race and then all the questions that come with it. But if we zoom out just a little bit. So qualifying standards, like, how does one actually get onto Team USA? So there's basically a year and a half qualifying window. Um, the race is held every two years, which is kind of cool because it gives you plenty of time to qualify. Um, they actually just moved back the qualifying standards to, I believe it's one, 140 now for male. And I'm not sure what they backed it out. It might be 125 for female now, but um, we had a little bit of problem filling our team last year. There was a few injuries and we didn't have backups. So they, they backed the qualifying center. So basically you have from the date that the world championship happens until a year and a half later, they, they give you about six months before the actual race. So yeah, you just run a USATF certified course, whatever your distance is. If you make the minimum qualifying standard, you go into a list of top six male, top six female. And if you're one of those top six, when the qualifying windows open, you make the team. So so does it just keep re-ranking itself? In other words, right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there was, there was people who made uh 2023 team that ran the last day at the dome, the last qualifying day, J 
Jeff Urbanski was one of them and made the team just off that last qualifying standard. So it's the top six regardless. Right. Very yeah. good. Men and and we do have one male and one female alternate just in case mm-hmm. one of the six can't make it. So, yeah. And, and so this may seem like an obvious question for a couple of different reasons, but I mean, you even just mentioned that, Hey, for this last year had trouble filling. Why do you think that there's so few people that qualify for this format? Well, I think it's not a very popular thing with sponsors. I know some of the top runners, they have Mm. certain, you know, race requirements, you know, they want their people on the biggest publicized races and there have definitely been some people who have come out um, and could very well make the team very easily. I think Um, Arlen Glick being one of them, he came out and ran desert and did very well. But I think because of his sponsorship, he's been required to go to these other races, you know, according to Walter was on the team one year. She hasn't run another 24 hours since then. And I would love, I always love showing up desert solstice and seeing some of these mountain folks come out and get a taste of what it is to run on a track for that long. And so far the majority of it, like never again. I mean, we had Jeff Browning out there a few years ago and he said hundred miles. Yeah. That was enough for me. I will never do something like that again. And it's just a totally different sport in a lot of regards, you know, totally different mental game. I think, I mean, Nick Curry, he's got the American record for 24 hours. And he said him setting that record was harder than him running hard rock. Hmm. And he's run hard rock several times. So that says a lot right there. It does. And we actually have specific questions about running that format, but if you're listening you go, Hey, I may not be the fastest person when I go out, but I sure can go for a long time. And I, you know, I think I, that this may play to my strengths, pay attention to that because there may be an opening there. Um, you know, if you put some time into it. So I think it's, well, it's kind of disappointing that <clears throat> there's not that much exposure for, because it's considered team USA. Right. And it's like, you're, you're running for the country against other countries in this format. And it's a, it is a shame. I think that sponsors aren't, aren't as involved or as interested in this. Um, because I think when you talk about like running for your country, you would think there would be a little bit more kind of excitement about something like that. I know it's not one of the big races, but uh, it just begs the question, like, why not? Does this doesn't make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is the format is because it's, I always think about the same thing with bigs or the backyard format, right? There's probably a lot of very talented runners that don't take on that type of format. Sure. And, and it's probably a different skill set than just speed but to your point you know if you're running for a shoe company or something like that i would think that that's probably not in the wheelhouse but so moving forward though you just mentioned it mentally tough dude how hard is it to run in a circle for 24 hours it's probably the hardest thing i've ever done in my life (laughs) and i don't know why i keep doing it honestly (laughs) yeah i i don't know i I love it though i i don't know if it's just being able to run with that caliber of athlete that shows up to desert solstice every year yeah it's 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 dumb i don't <laughs> i don't understand why i keep going back to it yeah. is it the same type of thing where you look forward to it and when you're in the middle of it you swear you're never gonna do it again several times yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> and, and you know it's kind of cool because we we switch directions every four hours and you kind of look forward to that and every time you turn around and you're just like, why am I still doing this? This is so dumb. <laughs> oh, they look forward to turning around in four hours, <clears throat> then yeah. five minutes into that. They're like, oh, let's turn around again. <laughs> you know, it's so, so silly because it's like you have your crew sitting right there, trackside, 
the entire time. You could stop at any time, but for whatever reason, we just keep going round and round in circles. And well, you're selling this idea to everybody who's interested in trying this new format. <laughs> well, hey, man, I want to keep making this team for it into my fifties. So yeah. <laughs> so, let's assume though that we've talked them into saying, you know what, maybe I'll check this out. What kind of race specific training do you do for running in a circle as many miles as you do? Well, I think the big thing is to actually get on a track and do at least a couple. If it's your first time, because you will definitely feel it in your hips. I mean, four hours turning the same direction like that. And when you switch around, you're like, oh, wow, that was definitely causing my gait to be changed because I am leaning on one leg more going around those uh, circles. I think that's probably the biggest thing. And just get used to being in your head for that long. I, there's really no training way to, to do that. I think it's just one of those things where you either have it or you don't in some regards. And it, like I said, until you try it and see how far you can go. I mean, there, there's obviously six hours and 12 hour events that you could test some of those things too, which would be awesome before running at the world championship. I did do a 12 hour event just to kind of mentally get myself into that flow again of just being out there, getting used to, you know, how your legs are going to feel. But I think the biggest one is at least getting on the track and maybe doing a 50K or a four-hour run just to get used to how that repetitive motion of making that turn over and over and over again. I think that's key. Have you found that working the hips or any specific strength work, exercise, things like that because of the demand on the hips that you just mentioned? Um, or is it really just trying to format itself and building those muscles up? Yeah, I mean... I think that's kind of why I like doing trail running mixed in when I'm yeah. training for one of these, because you are changing directions, you know, all the time, which kind of just works those hip flexors muscles, just naturally doing it. I, I don't, I'm not a big proponent of weight training and all that. I, I do it whenever I have the free time, but yeah, I, I think that's why I've always enjoyed the trail aspect mixed in with some of this road running stuff that I do. So when you were pre preparing for you know, the 24 hour worlds in December, we know that you ran 500 just, you know, as part of your preparation. So you were doing a lot, but what are you specifically focusing on? What does your volume look like? Are you doing speed work? Like how are you thinking about it as you're preparing to run on track for 24 hours? Yeah. I mean, part of the reason why I did those 500s that close was more of a mental trying to build my mental game up. The last couple of 24 hour races didn't go as well as I hoped they were. The, the year that I ran Desert Solstice the year before, I ended up running 157 to qualify again, but I just didn't have a great race. I made the team, granted, but I've been kind of chasing that 165 for the past two or three years now. And it may just have been just a one off, you know, that might be my PR forever, but I still think that I could get up into the 160s again. And it's just a weird, weird thing with last year. I felt really strong. I was coached by Patrick Reagan for a couple years. I had basically um, just taken a plan that we had used to build up for one of the other 24 hour races. I'm not working with him any, any longer, but yeah, I was just kind of going off that. And we were incorporating um, at least one speed workout during the week. And then some, you know, strides sprinkled in during the week. And then of course the, just the, bread and butter long run on the weekends trying to build mileage very consistently not do anything really crazy and in the past it's always worked and you know of course this year or last year things didn't pan out so well at the race but it's basically kind of like marathon training i guess 
because you're doing it on the road, but just bigger, bigger mileage on the weekends. Well, let's go to race day <clears throat> because this is a, this is a um, an experience that is again not like what many of our listeners have ever seen, uh, been a part of. You know, I was watching some of it on social media. I think there was a Facebook Live page that you could go to as well, and they showed like a, a camera shot, and it looked like there was a section where people were just running by this this se series of canopies that team members were just throwing stuff back and forth and everything <laughs> to them. So, can you describe the venue from your perspective as an actual runner and like what it's like for everybody? Yeah, uh, this year was pretty wild. I mean, just the travel alone getting out there, it's it's exhaustive. I mean, 14 hours on a, a plane and then a totally different time zone. You're like basically flipped upside down. Most of the team got out there with at least two days to kind of get a little bit acclimated, which was nice. Never been to Taiwan, which beautiful country. Love being out there. So yeah, the race venue was, um, I, I believe it was a 1.2 mile loop. And we had this nasty out and back that we had to make a 180 degree turn around these cones, which was a disaster. The weather wasn't all that great. It was supposed to rain. It did on and off throughout the day. So that added to it. And also we had a, a pretty strong headwind, <laughs> which was like Oof. not favorable for us either. So we had a lot to deal with this time and the results showed it. The team didn't do all that great. The women's team kicked butt. They had some really strong runners and. Like I said, uh, like Chad, he did amazing. It's just like any other officer. You show up, you take what the day gives you, and mm -hmm. sometimes things don't work out the way you want them to, and that's okay. So so that's actually, I'm going to skip ahead. That was a, a question because we, we still want to talk about kind of some of your tactical approach, what you're thinking and pacing and aid and all that. But you just mentioned, so obviously there's a lot of build up to this. You mentioned you kind of been chasing that for a couple of years. You show up the big day you travel 14 hours and it just doesn't go the way that you're hoping. And I'm sure with your experience, right. That there's just been other days like that, but how do you process a disappointing performance as it, as it's kind of unfolding? Like, what are you thinking? How do you work through that? Yeah. I started having, having problems around 40 miles in with my, my hip. It's having a little bit of sciatic nerve pinching and it was just having shooting pain down my leg. And, I pulled over and had the, the medic, our team medic work on me for a little bit, got back out. Things were sort of feeling a little bit better, but then they weren't. And so came back in again, she worked on me again. And it was just so early in the race that it was like, I'm either going to death March, however many hours left 14 hours. And I didn't want to do that to tell you the truth. I didn't, right. I didn't go all the way to Taiwan to walk for 14 hours. So I made the hard decision. You know, I came back in, had a little pity party, shed a few tears, and then said, you know what? I didn't come all the way out here to do this either. So I decided to just help the team as much as I could. I stood out there and handed out bottles. And whenever somebody else's crew wasn't, you know, busy, I was filling in as much as I could. And, you know, as the race went on, I was jumping back out there and trying to run with some of our teammates to give them encouragement. I didn't want to leave saying that I wasn't part of that team or I didn't like give it my all to be right. out there with everybody. And that's what my 24 hour world championship turned into. It was just me being out there to support everybody. And I think looking at it now, yes, it was hard coming home and knowing that I only ran like, I don't know, 80 something miles when I'm capable of double that. But it ended up being a, a really rewarding experience being able to support the team the way I did and 
kind of give back for Greg Armstrong in 2019. He didn't have a great race either, but he was pacing me the last, you know, two hours, pushing me as much as he could. And I was hoping to give that back to the other guys. So I think I accomplished that. And yeah, it was just really rewarding experience. So, you know, to wear your, your country's Jersey like that at that big end of an event, it's like, you don't want it to end. It's 24 hours. You want to be out there for way longer than that. So. Well, let me ask, cause just, cause I didn't know that you could do this. So just understanding wise for me. So when you decided you, you were done with your part of the race and everything at that point, are you considered DNF or whatever that are done or because you said you went out and paced and every time you pace, do you get credit for those laps too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I did not turn in my timing chip. We were, okay. usually we have ankle bracelets, but they didn't give them to us. So I, I kept my bib and I just kept tacking on. That's why everybody was like kind of confused back home saying, well, he stopped. And then there was this big gap where two hours later, he's back out there running and like, what the heck's going on? Is the timing messed up? And yeah, I was just going, going back out walking, you know, I, I just wanted to be a part of the race as much as I could basically. No, that makes sense. I like that. I, that's why when you first said it, I thought you, you were just going out and pacing, but you weren't getting credit for it for the team or whatever, but that makes a lot more sense that you're able to do it that way as well. Yeah. It's kind of cool. They, they changed, uh, in the past, we weren't allowed to pace each other unless we were on the same lap. Hmm. I don't know why they changed that, but so yeah, I was able to go out and the guys that were way ahead of me, I was able to run with them and the, and the females on our team too. So yeah, it's really cool that you can still be able to help your team like that. Let's give them, you know, support. And so for a point of clarification, the way that kind of the scoring works, is it the top X number of runners count? Does everybody count? Like how, how does that work? For the team scoring, they take the top three distances, men and, and women, and that that's what goes towards your country's overall ranking. So I think so, the men were like 15 this year and the women, uh, they were in the top 10, I believe like sixth or seventh. So and it was, it was a kind of a, a bitter pill because in 2019 we both won the gold and yeah. set the course record. So it's just amazing to see how far in four years, some of the other countries have improved so much. I mean, you have Alexander Sorokin world record holder, almost going to break 200 miles. He was out there and every, every one of his teammates were just robots like him. They were just so far ahead of everybody. So I don't know if it's just like a cultural thing uh, where the U.S. just doesn't have the interest that some of these other countries do, and that's what they put their focus on, or what it is. I know that the Americans have the talent to be up there with some of those other countries and setting world records. So it's just going to take a while to get some interest over there. So, well, so I actually have a question about that, but I don't want to skip over too fast. So. You know, it was interesting kind of to watch it, and we don't need to kind of get into this part of it, but there seemed to be a little tension kind of a, a around or that developed uh, with some of the team and, and how some of the things played out. But I will say from the comments that I saw and your, you know, participation, it seemed like mm-hmm. it was so much appreciated. Like you said, even though it wasn't your day, I, I hope that at least you felt what I saw from the outside was that it was as rewarding as it looked mm-hmm. to just make, you know, the lemonade out of the lemons you were handed, give back support because the comments I saw was like, man, you know, Jake, you, we appreciate this more than you know. And it sounds like there were several team members that kind of did something similar. Well, that's, that's good to know. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. I'm very curious. What was it like to run and witness Alexander? 
he's amazing. I mean, right? <laughs> even when he's struggling, it doesn't look like it's phasing him at all. It's just, it's so crazy to see somebody that talented just zip past you hour after hour after hour and just not look phased at all. It was kind of weird because the last, I think, half hour, he started walking with his team because they had such a huge lead. I think that he knew he was going to break his own record. So it was just like, let's just enjoy the last 30 minutes. And they were walking and just jogging around, having a good time. And I have not yet personally met him, but he just seems like he's so down to earth and just a, a great human being. It doesn't make sense to my brain when I look at what he does. <laughs> like, I, I, like I look at his times and the distance he's run. And I sit there thinking, I don't, I just don't understand. I just yeah, don't he's, understand. He kind of came from the same thing where he was like drinking and smoking and had this like dead end job and was just not happy with life and picked up running. And it just, it was his thing, you know? Yeah. Well, Jake, um, I used to drink and smoke and I'm slow. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was not your thing huh? <laughs> just letting you know i mean i love the sport but i am slow i'm snail slow but i appreciate that it's there, real helpful there's but. probably I mean, we all have we will probably all have a stork and inside of us for something it's just yeah mine just a jaw drop like unfortunately that's about all i got now there was also am i incorrect that there was a female world record set as well there was yeah she i think beat camille's record by a couple hundred meters, maybe, I think it was. Yeah. Japan runner, yes. 168 miles, Miho Nakata, if I'm saying that right. But yeah, right. I mean. Funny story too with that. So we're running down uh, the last like two minutes. They blow a whistle or maybe it was a minute. I forget who was running with me, but we're running down all the canopies going through. And Howie Stern was out there taking photos. Awesome photographer. He comes by me, he says, world record coming up behind you. And I didn't realize that she was that close to hitting it. So Howie passes me, she passes me, and I was still walking. She stopped at the one-minute whistle and put her little, the little marker down. And everybody's yelling at her, no, keep going. So if she had not oh, wow. stopped, she, she would obviously beat the distance. But if she did stop, I don't think she had the record at that point. Oh, wow. So luckily, all of us were like, coherent enough to tell her no keep going it's not over yet so she thought that that last minute that that was the end of it Could right you imagine yeah. how much she'd be kicking herself <laughs> you know thank goodness you guys were there to be like no it's impressive though i know i mean either way it's a heck of a day but wow so uh, so does it all with, with the performance and how things turned out does it kind of stoke the fire for next time oh definitely i mean on the flight home i was like maybe i'm not cut out to do this anymore but as soon as they started registration for Desistosis, you know, I watched the live stream and there was only like six people running. And I was just like, yeah, I, I have got to make the team again. It was something that I said when I made the team the first time that I'm going to try every single year to try to make that team. So there's nothing that compares to being able to re represent your country like that. So it's awesome. Well, and, and I probably should have asked this earlier because, again, getting back to some of the tactical stuff, but I'm interested because it's such a different type of format. They say go, and you're starting off from the line. One, how are you pacing yourself? Are you looking at heart rate? Are you going by feel? Like, what are you, how are you setting the throttle? And then two, just kind of high level, what's your fueling strategy or age strategy to last that long? Yeah, I mean, the, the pacing is, I was basically, you know, I took da data from, desert solstices that i ran 157 and of course when i ran 165 in france i'm just kind of going off pace wise with that 
I had a pretty good buildup to Worlds. It was weird because after the 500s that I did in the first half of the year, I thought I was primed and ready to go. But for whatever reason, I, I think I, I don't want to say I was burned out, but it was just, I wasn't looking forward to putting in the training that I knew I was going to need to be at a 165 level for Worlds. So it was kind of a grind. You know, I did a lot of treadmill runs, which I don't particularly like to do, but it was it was the one thing we had the treadmill in the garage and it just kept me motivated, you know, throwing some YouTube and Netflix or whatever, you could just burn through the miles. So going into the race, I felt confident, but I kind of learned over the past, I've tried different methods of going out what feels easy, hold, trying to hold that pace as long as you can and, you know, just holding off for dear life at the end. I've tried doing what Nick does, running way slower in the beginning and trying to negative split. And that doesn't work for me. So I was trying to keep all of my mile splits between like 810, 825 and just hold that for as long as I can. I'm not a like a negative split runner like Nick. He's just on a different planet being able to do some of the stuff that, he's, that he does. So unfortunately, you know, things didn't go that way or my way early. So I kind of knew, you know, right. This wasn't going to work out. And as far as the nutrition, I have something on my watch every 30 minutes. I try to eat something. I'm big spring energy person. So that was what I was feeling for a long time. Then awesome. of course, later the race goes, you just kind of eat whatever <laughs> sounds good. Whatever, <laughs> whatever you get down. down. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should hook a rope onto Alexander and call it a day. <laughs> Have him drag you around thing. <laughs> Truthfully, I don't think I could. I mean, his first lap is probably faster than any lap I even did. It's just like, it's amazing. <laughs> it's cool. It's got to be super neat to witness. But, well, I'm, I'm glad we talked through that. I think I'm good. Okay. It's everything I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm hoping that if you're listening at home, you were as fascinated by that as we are, because it's just one of those things that you see, you witness, and you're like, oh my gosh, I would love to like be there in person at some point to see it. But at this point, we get to listen vicariously you through. You take pictures? Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't mean to run it. No. <laughs> all, all hand bottles too, right? Yeah, come out to Desert Solstice. They have a great uh, stadium. You can just sit there and... You know, there's a coffee place right across the street that we look at all day long. And uh, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I, I keep over. telling Jamil, like, we should start some betting going on, like, get like more people to. in there. Yeah. I mm -hmm. think that would bring in, you know, the top names or whatever, get some of these people that want to make a little money out there. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, offer lots of booze and start the betting. And I mean, I'm surprised there's not a lot of money and something like that because it's easy for people to watch. I mean, when we talked to Davy Crockett about this, like that's yeah. how they used to do ultra That's how they the started past. it, right. right. Yeah. And so this would be something I would go watch, at least coming for the second half because the first half would be boring. <laughs> <laughs> the second half would be fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, I'll bet my horse. Right? <laughs> yep. Well, all right, man. Well, let's, let's switch. Future. Yeah, let's switch gears a little bit because, like we said, I, I'm actually glad that we got pushed back a little bit because now we've got to see some of you. Just congratulations on the win at Coldwater Rumble course record. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, just incredible. Well, it was outing. the first 100k that they hey, had. Hey, so. hey, still hey, a hey, course record. Hey, we knew that. We knew that. You didn't have to say that. Most of our listeners would not have checked that. But. It means you won, right? You're you're faster than anybody else to yeah. set that course record. Now people have the rabbit to to catch. It's still a course record. Um, I mean that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. 
Although uh, one of my favorite things was when you posted uh, you were the number one fan when you were running past Andy Glaze out there. (laughs) We love that. Yeah, we're buddies, so I had to I had to give him a little dig, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he he's great. We've had him on the show a couple times. Um, He speaks very highly of you. In fact, you know, I mean, he he's given us a list of people we should talk to, and you were right near the top. Um, you know, so. That's, that's one cool. of the, I mean, there's several reasons. No, that's like the out. only reason we reached it's out. The- <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Um, I always get uh, people saying, you know, you should follow this guy. I'm like, yeah, I know Andy. Like I was, I've at his wedding. He lives like 10 miles away from me. Yes. I, I know who Andy is. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and I would say, actually, you remind me a lot of Andy and just, you show up every day, you're doing the running. And now dude, I saw congrats. 13.1 thousand followers. You got the half marathon of followers right on Instagram. Let's say you post about that. Yeah. Um, but you know, so <laughs> people so, have their opinions on how much I spend on social media. Now it's like, Oh, you're selling out. You're just trying to get the gram follows. It's like, well, you know, sponsors kind of like that too. And getting stuff saying, for free and you know, you don't have to pay for it. So that's kind of a perk, I guess. Well, it doesn't hurt, but the flip side is, I mean, so you can look at somebody like Andy that's got an incredible following, but I'd also say he probably has, you know, a huge amount of impact on bringing people into the sport and different things too. So, right. So there's two sides of the coin. Yeah. People can judge, but what you do is inspiring and what you do has the potential to change lives. So, I mean, to me, that's where it's at, right? Share what you do, inspire people and get somebody that was smoking and 35 pounds overweight and who knows? Maybe they'll be joining your world. I won't. Yeah, that's. I think that's been one of the the biggest benefits to like putting a little bit more effort into the social media side. Is I get so many DMs from people, you know, asking, "I'm doing this for my first time. Give me some suggestions." And just being able to inspire people and connect with people who, you know, just seeing my stupid Instagram is, you know, getting them out the door and running. And I mean, truthfully, some of the guys at my work they had no idea that I had made the 24 hour team. They had no idea that I even do any of this stuff. And you know, my work was trying to raise a little money for our team since the USATF didn't give us much. Mm. So I think that's kind of opened up some eyes to some of the people I just work with to like get out there and get after it. So it's been cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's great. So, <clears throat> so speaking of getting after it, Coca Dona 250. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. That's a long way. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> So how are you feeling about that? Why, why is it important for you? We talked about taking on different formats. I'm assuming this is going to be kind of a new venture is 165. Is that the furthest you've gone in one outing? Um, well, I did the, the 48 hour at okay. uh, uh, the six days at the dome where I ran 187, I think it was. So What's another 70 completely miles. Different. Yeah. You know? Completely different. <laughs> right. That was a loop. And obviously a trail with a lot of, a lot of elevation, but why are you looking forward to this race? Why is it important to you? Well, I, you know, for one, Aravipa, they're an amazing company. I joke and say that I should just move out to Arizona at this point because, I mean, four of the races that I'm doing this year are out there. I've watched the live stream for the past three years, and every single year I say, I got to do that race one of these days. And then last year, you know, I put it out there. I said, I'm doing this race no matter what. And... I'm literally as scared to do that race as I was my first hundred miler so many years ago. And I mean, I've done a lot of hundred milers in the mountains and this one is terrifying. (laughs) And I'm quickly learning that it's not just running the race, the logistics alone, drop bags, crew support, all of that is kind of blows my mind that people do these as many times as they do them. You know, it's, 
It's crazy. <laughs> Let's dig into that a little bit. What specifically about it scares you? Is it, I'm sure some of it is the kind of the overwhelming logistics, but when you think about it, what gives you those like butterflies in your stomach? It's truthfully, you know, I've kind of built the reputation of being a runner, you know, a road runner. I don't particularly like hiking all that much. I've done a few races that had, you know, decent elevation in them, but I like to run. You know, I don't like to hike. That's one thing that I, I'm having to definitely gear my training down. I've been going out a lot more with the poles, which I've never really used in a race before. Uh, and just hiking, even if this, the stuff is like, I could run up this any day, forcing myself to hike up those, you know, hills. There's just so many things that I have no experience, you know, my stomach. I don't know how that's going to work. The whole sleep stuff. I don't know how that's going to work. And I think that's why I want to do it. I want to know if I'm like tough enough to make it through one of these crazy long 200 mile races. And just the fact that it's four hours drive for me, you know, it's just makes, makes the most sense. I just wish our listeners could see your face on that weekend because you are literally just so freaking excited. Like you can see it, like you have not stopped smiling, like ear yeah. to ear smiling on this. It's like, Oh my God, I'm scared to death. This could be a blast. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> because you're the caliber of runner that you are, and I'm sure there's gotta be a level of expectation. We didn't even ask, but you know, I would imagine when you show up somewhere, there's a level of expectation of like, what's Jake going to do? Mm-hmm. Part of me says, okay, for the Coca Dona, that pressure is removed because it's so different than than kind of your core, like you said, is hiking versus just running fast for a long time, right? Does it remove some of that pressure? Yeah, it actually, it does. And you know, I I kind of went back and forth. I was talking to Andy, you know, because he does it all self supported, you know, which is a whole other level of craziness. And I was like thinking, well, maybe I should just for my first one just do it unsupported that would take all of the like anxiety out of it nobody would expect anybody to do well if they're doing it unsupported which is what i've heard from basically everybody you have to have a crew you have to have pacers to win or do you know well in one of these but then i thought well shoot what if this is my one and only chance that i get to do this these races are not cheap Mm -hmm. you know i i ended up getting a, a a sponsored entry thanks to spring which made it a lot easier, but still, I, I have no idea how I'm going to feel after that 48 hour run that I did at the dome. I almost like wanted to give up running and that was, you know, 48 hours. We're talking about possibly four days, five days for Cocodona. I want to do well. I'm not going to say that I'm going to go out there and win the damn thing. I think that would be foolish, but I would like to give everything I have, you know, cross that finish line with nothing left in the tank well, it's, yeah, it's like, got some big runners um that are running in it this year too yeah it's a bunch of all-stars we should do a little shakeout before at uh the canyons with andy you know yeah because <laughs> <laughs> <Sure. laughs> yeah. is he, is he still doing the um the canyons as far as i know before? he was making that an annual thing like the, the coco canyons so yeah i think he has a little bit more time in between the, <laughs> the two races but I mean, it's funny because I think we're, you know, very similar, but we obviously have different expectations going Mm. into some of these things. I'm, you know, most times gearing up to try to podium and he's just, I guess it's quality over quantity. You know, we were on two different sides. He just bangs them out and just moves right on to the next one, which is 
amazing. <laughs> well, like you say, I mean, sometimes I think he's from a different planet and sometimes I think he's just an average guy that's figured out how to jam more into a day, you know, but yeah. either way, uh, there's not, there's not many Andy's, but there's also not many Jake's. I'm really excited to, to watch you take on this race. And now we said on the day that this drops, you'll be doing the black Canyon 100 mile challenge, which if you explain to the listeners, it's a, a back-to-back race challenge, right? So Talk us through that. What's the Black Canyon 100 mile challenge? And then I want to know if you're using it as a training run or if you're going out to smoke the thing. Yeah, it's pretty much going to be a training run. Uh, so in the past, they've always had two different distances. And I think Corey Waltering was the first one to actually sign up for the 100K that's run on Saturday and then the 60K that's run on Sunday. And after him doing it, I think it just, mm. they figured, oh, let's just make it a 100 mile deal. And yeah, it's just basically a good way to just, going to a, a race the following day being tired you know right. and uh black canyon is my only dnf i dnf'd it uh two or three years ago so it's kind of like get a little bit of a uh redemption run going out there and it does run on a little bit of the course in reverse so i get to see some of that again and yeah it, everything basically from here on out has just been training for cocodona so looking forward to getting back out there and, and uh tackling that one did you ask him what his goal was? No, that's exactly where I was. I think we should ask him. So to, to close out the section, you kind of just said, hey, you know. He mentioned podium. It, it's different. Yeah. I mean, most of the time you got to put him. Do you have a goal for this race aside from leaving everything on the course? Yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely like to win the, the double, which I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of people doing it. I think. Um, Cole Cros- uh, Crosby, I think is his last mm-hmm. name. He's He signed up for the double because he couldn't get in to the regular 100K race. He's going after a golden ticket. So I believe that he's going to be going balls to the wall, and then we'll see what happens for the 60K. So I'm kind of hoping that I can be relatively close to him. Hopefully he's not too beat up to run the 60K the following day, but hopefully I'll be able to take take that time back on the 60K the following day. So... We'll see what happens. It's it's just another one of those kooky ultra things to do. You know, let's just try it and see what happens, you know, just for the experience. Well, that'll be a fun one to follow. How about Cocodona? Is there a specific goal for that? I would say under 80 hours. I mean, I haven't really figured out the pacing and stuff for that, or if I'm going to have a full crew and pacers and stuff. We do have a couple people that said they want to do it, but there's a long time between now and then. So right. we'll see, <laughs> let's see if they stick with it. I mean, it's funny. My sister, I talked to her during Christmas and she was like, yeah, I want to come out and help you with Cocodona. And I said, well, y- you realize it's going to be like four days. Right. And she's like, what do you mean? It's only 250 miles. You ran 187 at this other race. And I said, well, yeah, that was indoors on a track. You know, this is 40,000 feet of vertical. And I think people are like excited to tell you that they want to help out. And then when it comes down to, they're like, Oh, I don't know. I don't think I can get off that much time for work. So I'll see you on day three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I think you said you listened to the Cocodona race spotlight that we did. So you already know, man, just, I think it's that, you know, that first 70 miles or so is a little bit of a doozy, just right. Mentally stick in there for that. And then, you know, it's all downhill from there. Yeah, I got a buddy who's uh, done a couple 200 milers. We're going to go out together and do the preview run. 
So mm-hmm. I'll be able to see, I think it's the first 37 miles of the course, which everybody says is the hardest part. So it'd be good to get out there and see that. And I'll probably make a bunch of decisions after that to see pace wise where I'm going to line up. But, you know, it's so funny because it's, it's like you can't even be competitive with these things in the beginning. It takes two or three days to see how things pan out. I mean, what was it, Mike McKnight last year? He was in whatever 70 is something place and then comes back to win the damn thing. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's going to be a wild ride for sure. Yeah, that was incredible what he did, how he came back. Incredible. I think yeah. that's a really smart move to go out and preview the course, like you say, get a feel for it. Seems like that would really help you set some strategy. So I think you should race that first 37 miles as fast as you <laughs> yeah. possibly can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's another opportunity to put up some prize money, you know, first, <laughs> you know, first checkpoint to Bank whatever that aid station is. Yeah. <laughs> bank the time, bank it. Yeah. Well, dude, we're, we're looking forward to following, you know, I think it'll be neat to watch you kind of add this other format or new race distance to your incredible resume and all the different formats, but to kind of close this out, one of the things when you sent us the message was kind of saying, Hey, what running has done for you. So when you look back over all your experience that you've had, how would you say that running has impacted you personally? I think the biggest thing has been just my overall self-confidence in myself. I was a pretty shy kid growing up. I played sports, but it seemed like whenever the pressure was on me, I'd crumble. You know, I would play really, really great during practice, but then game time, I would miss the big shot or, you know, drop the, the football or whatever, whatever the situation was. And for whatever reason, running, it's just, it's kind of came natural to me and, I've met so many great people and, you know, it's kind of gotten me out of my shell and I couldn't imagine being that person again, that years ago, I would have never come up to somebody and said, Hey, you know, you guys are going running. Let's, let's meet up someplace. And it's just opened up so many doors for me. Just, you know, it's been great showing my kids, you work hard for something. This could be the outcome if you, you know, put a little effort into what you're doing. So confidence thing has probably been the biggest thing. I I would never go on a podcast, you know, I would never talk about myself years ago and think, yeah, that's the biggest thing. I never would have guessed that about you. Never. Like, that's great. And Ronnie gave the opportunity to send us an email from Taipei, you know, so, (laughs) so that's pretty cool too. Cause we are big time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's funny. My daughter, my daughter was like, uh, who is the podcast that you're doing? I I told him about you guys. He's like, she's like, well, when are you going to be on Rogan? I said, probably (laughs) never. (laughs) That's so awesome. Tell her we're close. (laughs) Yeah. Almost the same. What do you mean? It's almost the same. Yeah. He's got, no. Well, (laughs) no, it's not. Well, dude, I got to tell you, we've enjoyed this so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and an honor as well. And for everybody listening, just really hoping that you found the value. Most of you probably are, but if you're not following, it's at Ultra Jake Jackson on Instagram. And is that the best place for people to kind of keep up with you or somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on Facebook and Strava. You can follow me there, but yeah, it's mostly Instagram these days. Awesome. Yeah, well, go give a follow. Make sure you're plugging in for the Black Canyons and the Cocodona. Send them messages, keep up. And if you're plugging in, we value you so much. The normal ask, please share subscribe, like all that stuff. But Jake, man, we're going to keep you around. We're going to do a fun game for Patreon. Just thank you so much for your time. 
Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. All right, we'll talk soon. Cuts. Brain got scrambled a little bit there again. (laughs) Like, what's going on over there? (laughs) It's like, tell him goodbye. (laughs) Can you believe we're actually friends? Why is that? What does that mean? I feel feel pretty judged at the moment. (laughs) Are you nervous? A little bit, yeah. You should be. You definitely should be. (laughs) Super hard questions. All right, number one. Would you rather sing a song in front of your friends or in front of strangers? Oh, boy. Yeah, this is going back to the confidence thing. Um, Probably friends. I'm not a great singer, but I was in a band for a little while and played guitar Mm -hmm. and did some backup vocals. So definitely in front of friends. I think he's actually trying to get on Worlds. Right. To get on that team. Yeah. I think he's going for it this, that weekend. So we'll see how he does. Jake's like, take a pipe to his leg. It's my spot. <laughs> <laughs> Are we friends? I would say so, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Start singing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> he's, like, he's like, strangers, strangers, strangers. <laughs> I'm getting to that point where you take one wrong turn on a snowboard, you're oh, like yeah. kind of wiped out. <laughs> yeah. So you know getting old sucks so <laughs> it seems like every single time i do one of these something gets jacked up the mic the headphones so i'm just like i'm gonna test everything out first go enjoy your pizza yeah. thank you again we'll be in touch have a good night it's been fun guys yep, have a good one. Right. bye now bye. all right listen thank you so much we recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run but really We do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us. We hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. Hit the like button, leave us a comment, um, leave a review, and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up and just show up. Clean. Clean. Clean.